It's good to be sharing God's word with you again this morning, and I hope you're all uh, attentive and awake. It's warmed up a bit. It's not too cold, so it's, uh, it's a bit more comfortable in here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. We'll look at one verse this morning. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And that verse says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity to be able to look into your word. And to learn from it. Lord, we pray now that uh, as we read and understand and listen, Lord, I pray that, uh, that our hearts would indeed be receptive to your truth, that we would take it into our lives, that we would accept it, and that we would forsake sin and all lies, Lord, that the world is teaching today. We pray that your name would be glorified through this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> Who remembers what society was like about 30 years ago? David, you were like five years old. I don't know, <laughs> um, Our society has changed tremendously in 30 years. Uh, if you look at, if you look at uh, the changes that have occurred, it's actually quite dramatic. I remember when I was growing up, uh, when I was what, 12, 11 years old, I, we'd, we'd be riding out our, we'd be riding our BMXs down the street without any helmets. Remember that? When BMXs first came out, and before the BMXs, I think, the skateboards were the, uh, were the go. So everyone had a skateboard and no protection. <laughs> it was just downhill with, uh, with down the footpaths. And the footpaths were all, remember, they were all up and down as well, so you had to be careful of that. Today they shave all the footpaths. Notice how they do that these days? We used to play cricket in the nets till the sun went down. You know, just a, a few of our mates just to get get around and, uh, and we used to do that. We used to go in the middle of the night to, to places and I remember one specific thing when I was growing up and um, we had a wood burning kit. You ever had seen one of those things? A wood burning kit? Uh, someone, someone came up with a fantastic idea one of these, a while ago that it would be art to burn things in wood. And I did that, I remember learning that at school where you'd, you'd get this high temperature thing like with a, with a, and you'd hook it up to the electricity and then at the end of it would glow red and, and orange or yellow hot. And with that burning uh, uh, thing, that prod at the end of it, you'd, you'd etch something into wood and you could see the smoke coming up out of it and you could design something with it. All right? There are people who've they've had careers with it. But isn't that a wonderful toy <laughs> to give a young teenage boy? You know... A, 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 a device that heats up to about 5,000 degrees that can etch or burn any surface in the hands of a, of a teenage uh, kid is a wonderful thing, isn't it? These days, how many of us would consider giving their kids a, um, that sort of thing as a present? <laughs> yeah, Philip put up his hand, that's right. <laughs> Actually, he wants one himself by the looks of it. 
But, I mean, when we, when we had that sort of thing and we were playing around with it when we were young, I mean, the first victim of that, that thing was my mum's freezer. Remember those freezers, the, the, the ones you used to open up like that? I mean, that was in the garage and it was the, first, it was the best place to actually do all your wood-burning stuff on because it was just the right height. It was in the garage. You couldn't do wood-burning inside the house. But by the end of it, that, was, that went from a beautiful white to a white and then etched with all brown over the top of it. Yes, our, our quest for artistic flair was, uh, was challenging those days. Um, but those days were more carefree, weren't they? They were more carefree. There were less things that people were concerned about than today. And I remember um, you could do a lot of things in those days you simply can't even think about today. I mean, we used to ride around with, uh, without seatbelt in cars, remember? You, know, you used to be able to lie down in the, in the, in the, in the back seat. I remember my dad bought a, one of those panel vans once. With the, remember the ones that used to open up at the back? And uh, there was a big thing. And we used to ride, drive with that thing lying down at the back. If you got caught today, you'd be put in jail for doing something like that. So things have changed dramatically. Our society has changed. I mean, if you look at the things you can't do today that, they, that we used to do back then, there's been a dramatic shift in the way we protect things the way we look after things. There's, a, there's a, a greater focus on protection, guarding, especially with our children. And, and if you look at things like um, uh, the way we protect our children these days compared to then, we used to allow our kids to do a lot more then than, than they are allowed these days. Airports are a lot more secure these days, aren't they? I mean, you've got to walk through scanners and, and, and today they... Um, but when you go to the airport, if you've ever had this experience where they actually they swab you to see whether you've had any explosive, whether you've been smoking any explosive uh, devices or anything like that, they test you like that. Um, workers, the workplace has become a whole lot safer, hasn't it? I mean, today, if you haven't got your red card, your white card, your blue card, your green card, and all these different cards you have to have, and, and the amount of risk assessment that take place, in, go back 30 years... There's a whole lot of things that didn't happen that happened today. And that's actually the sign of an affluent culture. A culture that is affluent, in other words, it's well off, has time to be able to do all these things. Because you need time to sit down and logically work through how do we make this situation safer, how do we guard these things more. Um, I could go on and on and on. I mean, even things like children in playgrounds these days all have to wear hats, don't they? And then even those, you'll notice the, um, you know the kids play area here? Has to have a covered area. In our days there was nothing, nothing covered. It was, all, it was all out in the open. So there's a lot more emphasis on protection these days. There's a greater emphasis also on, on protecting our families today. Our homes are more secure than ever. Many homes have, uh, you know, have alarms built into them. Uh, we generally wouldn't leave our doors open, um, as we used to do before. There's a lot more protection of our families, our homes, in our workplaces, in society. There's a greater amount of protection and guarding that takes place. There's also been a seismic shift in the protection of our health. Our knowledge, the amount of time we expend 
these days looking after our health compared to what it was like in 30 years ago is absolutely enormous. The amount of money people spend or the things that we do to protect, for instance, our heart, right? Think about the effort that goes into protecting the health of people's hearts. We worry about the cholesterol that we, that we eat. We have cholesterol-lowering lowering drugs. We, we go on like people are on low-fat diets. There are more people than ever in uh, running on treadmills, in gymnasiums. There's blood thin thinning medication. There's special vitamins that people take. There are um, mar there's margarine that you can have these days. A lot of attention is paid to the health of our hearts. And the interest in your, in your heart is probably understandable from the point of view that if your heart stops, that's uh, pretty much it. <laughs> so people take an interest, and you can understand it, in protecting the health of their heart because other things can go wrong with you that are generally you can work with, but if your heart stops, that's it. Unless God does something wonderful. Our culture is based on or focused on the protection of physical things. But here in Proverbs it tells us, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Is the scripture talking about our physical hearts? No, it's not. Not speaking of the physical heart, it's speaking of the heart with respect to the way God sees the heart. And the heart, according to the, the scriptures, is the seat of our affections, our desires, our thought, and especially our beliefs. The things that we hold to be true are kept within our heart. In God's eyes, your heart is an extremely precious and important thing, something that needs to be kept. And we'll look at that in a sec. Every heart is different. Each of us has a heart filled with different things, depending on the experiences we have in life, depending on the affections that we have for certain things, depending on the belief system that we've built up over the years. God says it's a very precious thing to have. But if, what I'd like to do is, is to liken your heart, your and my heart, to a treasure chest. Okay? A treasure chest. What is kept in a treasure chest? Treasure. But there are some things in treasure chests that aren't really valuable, but people protect them anyway. If the heart is like a treasure chest, then my question to you this morning, and the question I'd like to start off with, is what's in your heart that makes it valuable? What's in your heart, specifically, that makes it valuable? You see, there are... Many things that people treasure in their lives. But the, question, the real question is, is it really treasure? So keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What does it mean to keep? Well, the term keep can be used in a thousand different ways. You can keep something safe. You can keep it warm. You can keep it cold. You can keep it all different ways. But what's the word keep here mean? The term keep primarily means here to guard, to place a guard over. When Adam was asked to keep the garden, 
he was asked to be the protector of the garden, to guard what was coming in and what was going out. And that's the same situation here. It's, when we think of the word keep, we automatically think of retain possession of. Doesn't, isn't that right? You, when you want to keep something, it's a matter of possession. Well, yeah, that, that has to do with it as well. But primarily, the whole thing is about guarding what you have, what's been put into your possession. Why do we need to guard our hearts? Why does God ask us to keep thy heart with all diligence? Well, the clear implication here is that the heart can be something that can be broken into and things either stolen from or bad things put into. So you need to be guarding that which is most important. The heart can be seized. It can be corrupted. And when it's corrupted, it affects the way you see the world. You see, what you have in your heart determines what you see through your eyes and what you hear. You might say, well, that's a bit strange. Well, it determines, and Scripture, we'll, we'll look at that in a second, but Scripture is very clear that what you have in your heart will determine how you see the world. As I said, people treasure many things in life. Some people put great value on land, others in money, others in gold, others in their education and careers. There are many things that are valuable in this world and different people value those things differently. We value things, we treasure certain things because we believe, now listen very carefully, that we can exchange those things for other things that we need. That those things... We conclude when we have things that we treasure that it gives you freedom. Are you with me? If you have treasure, if you have things that are valuable, it gives you options. Someone who is dead broke and dead poor doesn't have many options, do they? Someone who is wealthy has options. They have the ability to be able to make choices they have a greater freedom because what they, if they have what is valuable, then they can do things with that value. If you have nothing of value, you don't have many options at all. But what about the heart? What does the heart contain that gives us freedom? that gives us options, that helps us to choose? Well, very basically, your heart. And the most important thing about your heart is the truth that it contains. The truth. The truth gives an ability, or gives the ability for a person to be free. Turn to John chapter 8, verse 31 for a moment. John chapter 8 verse 31 says, then, Jesus, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, 
If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. Well, yes, the truth frees. And I'll give you an example. Let's say that I believed that that door was the way out of this place. If that's my truth, and I believed that that was the truth, that that was the way out, and the only way out, when I walked through that door, where would I be? Who knows what's behind that door? There's a sports room in there. So then I would walk into that sports room and I wouldn't be out of this place. I'd be still inside. I'd be still trapped. You understand where I'm going? The truth that you have will determine how free you actually are. If I understood that that door was the way out, when I decided to go out, I have the freedom to exit the building. If I believe that door is the way out and that's all I know, then I can keep going in circles the rest of my life until I'm given the other truth. So what truth you have in your heart will determine the freedom that you, that you have in your life. And there are plenty of people in, our, in this world that believe they have truth but are going through the same revolving door day after day after day after day. And they believe they have freedom as a result. But they won't give up on that truth. The things we hold in our heart, our knowledge, our beliefs, our values, our affections are the most valuable things to us because in the end they are who we are and they are our means of freedom. Therefore, we spend a lot of effort protecting those things because deep down, if those things are precious to us, then we want to guard them. We want them, we don't, we want, don't want anyone else taking those things away from us. This is the area of warfare, of spiritual warfare. This is where the devil starts playing the games. Because whoever holds the heart, whoever manages what comes in and goes out, is the one who actually controls the destiny of that person, who controls the freedom of that person or whether they're actually bound and believe they're free. The devil knows that if he can fill your heart with lies and make sure that your chest, your treasure chest, is filled with lies and deceit, then he has you completely bound. If the things we value, if the things we hold dear are lies, then we are lost. But as Jesus says, if we know the truth and the truth that comes from the living God, then we have an opportunity to be free. I'll submit to you this morning that non-Christians do a better job of protecting and keeping their hearts than Christians do. Non-Christians do a better job at that. And you might say, well, how does that work out? Their hearts are all full of lies anyway. Exactly right. And they'll protect those lies. They'll make sure that someone who comes and shares the gospel with them has a very hard time of infiltrating that truth into that, into that heart. I've discovered that when you attempt to share the gospel with someone, in most cases, their heart has a, a thick wall built around it. 
that stops you or stops the truth from getting in. Very elaborate, very strong. Christians would do well to have the same sort of wall around their heart because they have a lot more to protect. So what is the scripture telling us to guard here? Is it the bad things in people's hearts? No. Like any good gatekeeper, the implication here is to guard what goes in while keeping an eye on what's coming out. It's a gatekeeper situation. The goal of this thing is to keep the good stuff in and let in more good stuff. To monitor what's coming in and make sure only the good comes in, but at the same time watch what's going out and make sure you're removing as much of the, of the bad as well and making sure that nothing bad comes in. This is why David prayed, Search me in Psalm 139.23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Why did he pray that for? Because he didn't know his own heart as well as God did. So David wanted to be the gatekeeper of his heart, but in order to do that job properly, you first need to know what's in there to protect. So he wanted God to reveal to him the good that was in him and the bad that was in him as well. He wanted God to reveal what was in there so he could get rid of that which was wrong and protect that which was true. Job says in, in 31 verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. He made a covenant with his eyes? Yeah, he made an agreement with his eyes that he would not allow evil things to go in. That he would watch where he looked so that he could manage what was coming in and what was going out. That's why Jesus warns, take heed what you hear. Because what you hear will eventually sink into your heart and change what's there. What ends up going in and staying in will eventually become the lens through which you and I see the world. What goes in eventually comes out. That's why it says, for out of it are the issues of life. Because what comes out of your heart, really, at the, at the, the most fundamental level, reveals what's in there already. Out of it implies that you should be guarding what goes into it. As Warren Wearsby observes, the heart is the master control of the life. A wrong heart always produces a wrong life. To allow sin into the heart is to pollute the entire life. The condition of your heart today will determine your choices and your decisions, which in turn determine your actions. The teachings of Jesus are very clear on the subject. Turn to Matthew chapter 12, verse 33.
Matthew 12:33. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. Do you understand the idea here? The idea is very simple. What you have in your heart, what treasure you have in your heart, it will overflow and come out to the world. It will determine how you react. It will determine what you think. It will determine what you speak. It will determine your actions. This, and in this particular passage, he likens the heart to a tree. So if the tree is bad, the fruit will be bad. If the tree is good, the fruit will be good. Turn to chapter 15 of Matthew. Look at verse 16. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the drought. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. You get the idea? Why is it important to guard the heart? Because out of it are the issues of life. Out of it, your life is determined. But how are we to know what's in our heart? Because the Bible teaches also that the heart is deceitful above all things. And most of the time, people are deceived about what's actually in there already. Well, there are three simple ways I'd like us to, or I'd like you to understand, that God has given us to be able to determine what's in there already. The first is the Word of God. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and this is the most important part, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So God's word, if we read it, if we digest it, reveals what our true intentions are, what our thoughts are. It, it is a perfect mirror of what's in here at the end of the day. The second way that, that God will help us to reveal what's in our hearts is prayer. 
Do we pray for God to reveal those sins that are in our lives that keep us back from having a perfect relationship with him? Paul prayed that. Sorry, David prayed that. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. David wanted God to reveal who he really was. So prayer is your second option. And the third option, so we've got God's word, prayer, that is direct action of the Holy Spirit in our lives to reveal what's in us. And the third one is self-examination. Spending time thinking about what you've done over the last week or two weeks or whatever it is. Think about it. How much time do we spend contemplating what we've done? Think about that for a moment. How much time do we as people sit down and say, let me examine my life over the last week or the last month. What have I done? What decisions have I made? Had they been good decisions or bad decisions? The problem is with our hectic lives most of the time, we rarely spend enough time even thinking about what we've done. We rarely look at the decisions we've made and the consequences of those decisions. We're so busy, we just jump from choice to choice to choice to choice. And then somewhere down the track, we find ourselves in a complete disastrous situation and we haven't realised that that disaster was the culmination of about 50 choices that were made and we never stopped to think and break that cycle somewhere along the way because we kept on making the wrong choices and built up to that point. A.W. Tozer, most of you will be familiar with him, he's one of my favourite authors, said this, what we think about when we are free to think, okay, when you're free to think, not when you're busy running around chasing things and doing things, but when we're free to think about what we will, that is, is what we are or will soon become. Okay, that's who you really are. When you've got time just to think, what do you think of? Anyone who wishes to check on his true spiritual condition may do so by noting what his voluntary thoughts have been over the last hours or days. What has he thought about when free to think of what he pleased? Toward what has his inner heart turned? when it was free to turn where it would. When the bird of thought was let, to, let go to fly out like the raven to settle upon floating carcasses, or did it like the dove circle and return again to the ark of God? Such a test is easy to run. And if we are honest with ourselves, we can discover not only what we are, but what we are going to become will soon be the sum of our voluntary thoughts. That's very deep, but very true. If we spend time to examine what we think about most of the time when we're free to think, that is who we really are. That is really what's contained in our hearts because our heart will automatically gravitate to the things it desires. So there are three ways to know what we have in our hearts. The word of God, prayer, and what we're going to do today before God's word, the examination of ourselves. When we celebrate the Lord's table, it's a perfect opportunity for us 
to sit back and examine what we've been doing. What's in our hearts. And then it's an opportunity for us to actually make a choice about what we do. So what are we meant to guard? How do we practically guard what comes in and what goes out? Well, I think most of you know the answer to those things. But let me give you a few examples. What books and magazines do you read? What do you naturally gravitate to when you read? Whatever you read will slowly but surely condition your mind. One person once said that every author that you read, you end up taking a bit of him and make it your own. Which is true in a sense. Your heart will slowly shift by degrees with whatever you decide to fill it with. If you fill it with a, a typical type of journal or a magazine or book or whatever it is that you like to read, that will eventually mould you, will eventually fill your heart and that will become your treasure. Entertainment. What do we entertain ourselves with? When was the last time we sat down and looked at what form of entertainment we indulge in? There are so many forms of entertainment in our society. Once again, it's a, it's a, a wonderful picture of an affluent society that we have an abundance of ways to entertain ourselves. But not all entertainment is good. Much of it is corrupted with, with things that, that will slowly change your heart. We need to be more diligent about what forms of entertainment we indulge in and what messages we're happy to subject ourselves to on a regular basis. Are we happy when we're being entertained to subject ourselves to bad language, to lewd behaviour, to sexual innuendo, to blasphemy? Are we happy? Do those things affect us at all? Or are we, in our culture, so used to them that they just don't make any difference to us? Music. What music do we listen to? What themes are sung in that music? Our music in our culture is very strong, very influential, especially on younger minds. There are some nice songs, but many of them are just bad. Do we listen to the words of the music. Their message is often bad. Their language is bad. Their influence is very often very bad. The problem is with our society is that we're surrounded with music wherever we go. You can't walk into a department store without listening to, to pop music. You can't, well, I mean, the other day we went on a bowling, we had a game of bowling, and we're subjected to all this type of music with the video as well. We can't avoid it all the time, but we need to be aware of it. We need to be aware that we're not subjecting ourselves to it unnecessarily. We need to be selective about what we listen to, what we read, what we entertain ourselves with. And I can't finish the section without mentioning the internet. If you look at 30 years ago, there was no internet. But today the internet is everywhere. We have access to, to millions and millions 
of different pieces of information on the internet. Some of it's good. Most of it is absolute garbage. The more time we spend on the internet, the more selective we have to be. I mean, there, if I, I can't think of the damage that's being caused to our society by things such as the internet, things such as Facebook. I mean, I even think about stuff like kids being bullied at school through the internet. And I think about the, the destruction that takes place through those things. The web has many good things, but mostly evil things. We need to protect ourselves and our families from its influence. We need to be very careful about what comes through that box, through that screen. Especially with our children. Especially. So what do you watch or listen to when no one's around? That's a pretty indication of what's in here. When no one's around, when you're free to think, to do, to act, that determines, that is the best indicator of what you have in here. Here are some simple things that we should do to keep a check on our hearts or to keep our hearts, to guard them, to protect them, to be the gatekeeper for them. Keep a check on what your eyes see. Keep a check of what you look at. It's so easy to be, to be diverted from one thing to another. It's so easy to be, to be locked into looking at things that you shouldn't. We need to keep a check on what your, our eyes see. We need to keep a check on what our ears hear. That's why Jesus says, beware or take heed with what you hear. Keep your emotions in check. Our emotions are simply a, a result of what we have in here just coming out. But oftentimes what comes out is not right, does not conform to the truth. The emotions we have are often an, a, a wrong reaction to the circumstances in our lives. And unfortunately, they direct us sometimes more than our thoughts, more than sitting down and thinking about things. Our emotions start driving us and pulling us by the neck into where they want us to go. And we find ourselves often in a very bad situation. Emotions are okay as long as they are in line with the truth, as long as we keep them in check. We are emotional beings. God made us that way. But what the good is the emotion when the emotion is based on a lie? It's useless. It's counterproductive. It's sin. Pure and simple. Don't allow your emotions to dictate what you do in life or the choices that you make. Don't let your emotions dictate what you do and the choices that you make in life. As someone has written, emotions are like screaming kids. Emotions are like screaming kids. Until you calm them down, you can't be heard. If you want to get rid of your bad thoughts, control your emotions. That's good advice. Keep control of your thoughts. We often let, without realising it, our imaginations run away with us. 
we start off thinking one thing and then our imagination takes us into a different path. Imagination is okay if it's controlled. The combination of our emotions and our imagination has put more people in problems in life than almost anything else. They are two very dangerous things when put together and allowed to run by themselves. Because let's say someone hurt me by what they said and I was offended. If I don't approach that person and obtain the truth and find out why they said what they said, the next thing my mind is going to do is do what? Imagine. My emotion is going to trigger my imagination. And my imagination is going to start running wild about why this person has said this. And then my imagination is going to start looking for different things to build a case. And before I know it, I've made an enemy for myself. And that person was always my enemy. Now I see it. They've always hated me. Now it all makes sense what they said to me one week ago and one month ago and one year ago, you see? Because my imagination is so good at producing a case. But it's imagination most of the time. It's not the truth. We should be very careful not to allow our thoughts to drive us to evil, to think evil of other people. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. That's not just speaking about the eyes. That's speaking about the heart, the mind. That's speaking about your imagination. Because imagination can get people into a whole lot of trouble. So we need to control our thoughts. We need to be strict about what thoughts are flying around in there. And if the thought does not conform to the truth, then throw it away, have another thought, divert it to something else before it starts forming roots. Okay? So, keep a check on what your eyes see. Keep a check on what your ears hear. Keep your emotions in check. Control your thoughts and your imagination. And you'll go a long way to being a proper gatekeeper or keeper of your heart. But the most important thing, and I've left this one till last, that you can do before all these other things, if you want to be a keeper of your heart, is to surrender your heart to Christ. Surrender. There's a story that Jesus tells about a man who has had a demon in him. And the demon was cast out. And, it's, and he said that this demon walked around the wilderness or travelled the wilderness for seven days. And then he had no place to rest. So what he did was then go back to the home and he found the home, the heart, swept and cleaned up. But instead of going back by himself, he took seven others and came back with seven more. So his end is worse than the beginning. Now what does that story have to do with anything? Well, 
That story has to do with the fact that a person can try to clean up their life. Okay? But if there's nothing living in the home, if the home is empty, you can try to fix up your heart and, and get rid of things that you think are bad. But if there's no one living in the home that takes ownership of the home, then it'll be worse later on. Now, who can live in the home? Well, there is one. If you surrender your heart to this one, then the demon can't get back in. If Christ is in your heart today, then you have every opportunity to be able to guard what comes in and comes out because he's living in there. The first thing to do is to surrender your heart to Christ. Remember the question I asked you at the beginning of the sermon? If a treasure chest is considered worthy because of the treasure it contains, what's contained in your heart that makes it valuable? An empty treasure chest is not worth anything at all. It's a box. But a treasure chest filled with treasure, with that which is valuable, is truly a treasure chest. So what's contained in your heart today? What's living in there? If your heart is not regenerated, if your heart is not new, in other words, if Christ is not the treasure that's contained in your heart, then your heart is not even worth protecting. Why put a post? Why stand guard over corruption, over the things which are dead? Turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 8 for me as we close up. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, which means close to thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Salvation is the first thing that a person needs to receive in order to guard something that's of value. Otherwise, there's nothing really of value in there in the first place. When a person receives the Lord as their saviour, he gives them a new heart, a new nature, something worth protecting and fighting for. The question you need to first ask yourselves this morning is, do I have Christ in my heart? Or is my heart filled with everything in the world and I'm just playing the game? Do you look forward to Jesus returning? If he came now, would you be happy? Are you looking forward to return now? That tells you a lot about your heart. Because if your heart isn't right, then him coming back at this particular time is not going to be a pleasant thing for you. You don't want to be ashamed. In fact, I think a lot of Christians 
secretly don't want him to return just yet because I've got more life to live on this earth, because I've got things that are in here which don't really belong and I don't want them exposed when he comes back. I want more of a chance to get my life right, but we never do. The real thing that reveals to me is what your treasure really is. Is it him or is it everything else that's around us? Listen to these words. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is, wrapped around it. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, for when he cometh and knocketh, that they may open unto him immediately. Do we long for him? Is that where our heart really is? There is no point protecting or guarding a treasure chest filled with dead men's bones. But if you have the Lord in your heart, if he is your treasure, and you can confidently say, the greatest treasure that I have is Jesus Christ, and I look forward to being with him forever, then you've got something worth protecting. Protect it with all diligence. Put every effort to making sure that nothing bad goes in, but only good goes in. Protect it from every side and every angle because the devil seeks to infiltrate from every possible point. We need to be diligent. If you have the greatest treasure known to man in your heart this morning, then protect it. Protect the home. Protect who you actually are as a person, which is your heart. Keep it with all diligence. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table now. And we're going to give ourselves an opportunity to examine our hearts this morning to see where we're at. Before we partake of this thing, we need to spend time with doing business with God. Can I have uh, Brother Paul and Brother Alan, would you come forward as we make preparation for this? And if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh for other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, 
This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will set in order when I come. Let's spend the next few moments, next few minutes, examining our hearts, judging ourselves, examining what we've been doing and thinking over the last week or two weeks or month. What path are we travelling? Who is the most precious thing to us? Is it ourselves or is it the Lord? Let's examine our hearts now.